Hi, my name's Dan. I'm the creator of uh, Vanguard Viper and one of the three hosts on the Awesome Comics podcast. And you're watching Two Geeks Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We're joined today by a very talented writer and artist and creative person as a whole. He has created, of course, Vanguard Comic as well as Viper. And we are joined today from all the way across the pond from the ever-talented Dan Butcher. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, Kat? Doing good. I also forgot to mention he is a co-host on the Awesome Comics Podcast as well. Yes, too. been a host on that a few years now, so I'm kind of quite used to this game, apart from we don't have a video going. So. <laughs> Uh, you'll get to the stage eventually, but uh, audio is easier. <laughs> yeah, so much easier. For those that don't know anything about yourself as a creative person, tell us who you are and what you're all about. Uh, I'm kind of comics creator. Uh, I've been doing it for, God, like 10, 15 years now. I've sort of uh, bummed around doing web comics. Uh, so I got into doing Vanguard and then just been drawing other people's projects. So kind of predominantly work on my own, but uh, sometimes I've worked as an artist with others. One thing I've never done is written for someone else and they've drawn what I've done. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Vanguard's been going for about 10, 15 years and that's looking to finish in the next two or three issues. So it's a big sort of event coming up. I'm trying to build to the climax of the story and once it all kind of ends, uh, that's it. It's going to be mixed feelings on that one. Well, I mean, you, you put enough time into any creative project. Obviously, you have to have have to have your baby, so to speak, when it comes yeah. to not only characters and, and the world that you've built. But I'm sure it's going to be a, a happy, creative end because you're you're always constantly creating something, no matter what. Doing a, a long form project kind of not be uh, constrictive, but you have to kind of keep on task and make sure it's kind of driving towards the towards the end and where you want to uh, go with it. There's so many ideas you can come up with as a creator and you have to kind of like silence them because it's like, well, you're focusing on this now. You've got to get this done before you start having these flights of fancy about all these other different projects. So stick down a Google Doc or something and maybe come back to it later. I wouldn't be doing it this long if I didn't have fun doing it. I think that's one of the kind of the driving things you're going to need as a creator is to uh, have fun creating. So then talk about the the Awesome Comics podcast as well too, because I always love interviewing people that have shows as well too because you know you've been on this side of of the table so to speak yeah. when it comes to interviewing people does it still give you a thrill after all these years doing it i'll be name dropping now we had mark millar on a couple of weeks ago and we were just so well i was really nervous like we had done so much prep watched loads of youtube videos listened to podcasts wrote notes uh when he was on my neck was like stiffened up and after the end of the show i was like oh my god that was a relief he's, he's a lovely guy like a really talented creator and uh so fun to talk to but an interesting one you think oh i'm gonna get better at this over the years you do it and i, I, I guess you do he's still when you get the kind of the, the, the big guys or people you really like and admire and you want to you want to put on a good show can be daunting god yeah we've been doing there's me tony and vince and we were doing the podcast for a number of years now we're well into like the 300s on our episodes and essentially what it's about is like small press comics and indie comics. We try to do it like we're shining a light on uh, what other creators are doing, bring everyone up and try and say, look, there's more out here than just Marvel DC. Not saying what they do is good or bad, but there's there's a lot more voices to kind of listen to and comics to, to read than maybe you're not getting a chance to see. It's been a real eye opener because I was a, more of a mainstream guy till, till we started it. And then 
when you start seeing all this other stuff coming through, you go, wow, this is amazing. There's such a wealth of talent and different ideas. It's a real eye-opener. Well, that's how Two Geeks Talking got started, too. I mean, it was literally just interviewing webcomic creators, you know? I, I wanted to shine a light on the, on the webcomic community, uh, especially back in 2008. I mean, that was kind of almost at the peak of their, you know, renaissance, so to speak. Yes. So and what it, kind of webcomic got, got you into it? You thought, right, I, I think oh. there's... So the quick story is a friend of mine who is also a host on the show for for 60 episodes, Phil uh, Phil Frump, he gave me a list of 4,000 webcomics, like categorized and everything like that. that was, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. there I can't name just one, but back in the day I was reading uh, in the traditional Penny Arcade, PVP, yeah. Control-Alt-Delete, Girl Genius uh, Online as well too, um, who happened to be our 10th our guest on the show in our very first uh, year was Phil Folio. And that just blew Excellent. my mind. So that's yeah, similar fantastic. to your, your Miller story as well too. It's just like, it's amazing. It's kind of, uh, webcomics have changed so much as in, yeah. Like now we've, you used to have the big platforms and then people get in their own sites. Mm. And now we've gone back to the kind of the big tapas, webtoons, big platforms, but it's such an ever-changing landscape. You think this is the way it's going to be now. And then it radically changes. I've got an eye on doing the next webcomic and it's like, I'm not going to plan how that's going to be delivered just yet because by the time we get around to it in two years, we could be looking at completely different landscape and delivery method, like the endless scroll thing. I couldn't have told you that was coming a couple of years ago. I had no idea. It changed the industry. I mean, literally, mm. you no longer have to go to a website to read your stuff now. It's all online. And I've, I've had creative people that literally reformat their entire like large archive to God. fit the endless scrolling method. And yeah. I mean, that's one way to edit your comic if you didn't like your original work. <laughs> but, but realistically, it, it's it's very time consuming. And, and yeah. I think virtual reality is going to be the next real avenue when it comes to reading digital comics. It's no longer going to be the end of the scroll. It's going to be, you know, you're walking around a museum or you're walking around, yeah. you know, you know, a virtual center of some kind. I've seen a couple of those ones where like uh, it's like the augmented reality and you mm -hmm. can like turn the device, the, the tablet you're on, and the, the panel will rotate in 3D when you're looking at it. Yeah. Or uh, you look at it as on a phone, on an app, and then panels animate within the comic. Mm -hmm. And just like, wow, there's, there's, there's a lot you can kind of do with this and play with this. And uh, we, like I said, we're just kind of getting into that technology now. Okay. Uh, interesting to see what's down the, coming down the pipeline. Well, let, let's talk more about your your stuff. We could easily talk about the yeah. world around yeah. us for sure, and I don't want to take up your time here. But that just means that we'll have to, you know, trade trade shows, and you know, we can talk to our hearts. Oh, content. definitely, so yeah. We'll go from there. We'll trade calendar links there. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of of your comic Vanguard specifically, first we'll start with Vanguard. We'll move on to Viper as well, too. Okay. Here. Regarding Vanguard itself, you know, what was the easiest part about creating vanguard was it the beginning the middle or the end of the comic uh i had an idea where the kind of story was going to start and like right i'm gonna this is where we're gonna I'm gonna go from and then i started building up the backstory to where we was going to get to this uh initial point spending so much time on the backstory and kind of how the story was going to start I thought, well actually that's a good grounding to kind of get going i'm going to lay the story out properly first and then when it hits the point, I want to go, I'm going to go. But 
it developed so much that it was like, well, once again to this point, there's a, there's a definite massive big event that happens like in issue nine, we're currently on issue 20. Lots of stuff happens in this story and then there's a big time jump. I wanted to take that classic kind of superhero team thing and then spin it a little and play with it a little. Uh, one of the things I've, I've always wanted to do is have repercussions. So if something happens to a character, so if they die, that's it for the story. Like they're not going to pull a Bucky Barnes and, and come back like so many years later, because if death is ultimately meaningless in the comic and they can come back at any time whatsoever, kills the danger. There's no threat. There's no peril at all. So in this, when a character kind of like that does happen to them, that's, that's it. They're gone. So is my favorite character going to make it to the end of the story? And uh, it, you, you never know, which is kind of, I guess he had that the same with uh, Kirkman's Invincible. I really mm-hmm. liked it. It's, there's, there's a lot of comics that's, that's, they've had that in, and it's uh, fantastic. But uh, a big fan of Robocop, and it works in a lot of satire from that. And maybe Frank Miller was inspired by that for Dark Knight when you got the talking heads. Mm-hmm. And the initial run of Vanguard, you have that with TV hosts talking, shifting the plot along. And when it goes into like a, a secondary arc where the UK is in a bit more of a crappier state after this big event happens, uh, you don't get so much of that because uh, it's more like two sides have developed and and trying to spend a bit of time with the, the good guys, as it were, and the bad guys. It's a lot of fun trying to kind of get all these plot lines and narratives to kind of come together at the end. I, I think I'm doing okay. The feedback seems to be okay. <laughs> Regarding the whole events of your comic, did any mm. of those coincide with Brexit? It's interesting. <laughs> I've, had, <laughs> I've had a lot of comments where like stuff has happened in the comic. And they said, hold on, you, you mentioned this. And it's like, well, I just look at the news and think, right, what could come from this story? Like there was an attack on a pipeline and that happens in uh, one of the comics before it happened. And I was like, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> like looking down the future. I'm just reading world events thinking, right, this could happen. That could happen. When you're kind of like looking at geopolitics, which I'm no way an expert of, but I sort of like pick out stories. Like, That'd be interesting. And there's a place in the story, uh, in Switzerland called Zug. A lot of the uh, headquarters of businesses all over the world have rent a tiny little office there because you don't pay any tax there. So you put your headquarters there in one room and might not even be in anyone in that room. So that's my headquarters and you don't pay any tax. And the part of the story is set in that. So well, that sounds like an interesting place. Uh, it's, it's just stuff like that. Uh, I kind of uh, lose track of it when <laughs> stuff's happening in the world and uh it, it pops up in the comic because it's just just what it is so then uh tell us what viper is all about as well too and and what is um you said you were doing a kickstarter as well possibly we've got the first uh viper published it's essentially kind of like a a, a love letter to tv shows like knight rider airwolf street street hawk and with a sort of big dash of uh 80s action cinema sort of thrown in, trying to kind of use all the, all the tropes and the stories you'd, you'd find in one of those TV shows and just push it a little bit more to the extreme. We had the Kickstarter, the second issue was is called uh, Viper Soviet Strike. And it was playing on that idea of 80s action films and TV series where when they needed like a generic bad guy, they'd drop in a Russian mm-hmm. and it'd be a, a Russian bad guy. And I was working on this like late last year and obviously keeping an eye on the news, everything's mm-hmm. happened with Ukraine. I've had to put it on the back burner thinking, God, I, I don't want to upset people by doing this. And it, it might come out as a bit crass and insensitive, but 
uh, I was doing this way before that <laughs> kind of happened. So at the moment, it's kind of, I'm just working out what I'm going to do. I think once I finish this issue of Vanguard, I'm going to start the Kickstarter and then I'll put like a, a pledge level on it that says like, pledge this level and I'll give whatever you pledge on that level to a, a charity that supports the Ukraine some aspect. I've not looked into what charity is the best to do that, but I feel that's, that's one way of getting around it. And it is what it is. I mean, I'm not glamorizing warfare or anything in it. It's just, it's just a comic written for fun. Yeah, unfortunate timing, but that's what you kind of go, got to deal with, haven't you? Looking at yourself as, as a creative person that you are in both art, uh, in both writing and, and art as well too, which I do love your art style, by the way. I, oh, I, thanks, am, I am enjoying that. And, and your writing is, is amazing too. So uh, I just have to go through your entire Vanguard archive and, you know, just decide to, to really go dive into your characters a little more in depth than, than what I could get to. I'll tell you what, this, it's interesting because I've been doing that such a long time, the comic, when you go to issue one, which was done like 12, 15 years ago, and you look now, the art style has changed incredibly. Yeah. And I always give this advice, don't go back to your old stuff and try and make it better or look better. Like, that stuff's in the past. You've done that stuff. That was the best you could do at the time. Keep going forward. Don't keep going back and George Lucas in your past work because it just... It prevents you from coming up with anything new. It's like it's, there's no point being ashamed of your past like that. That's that's what we did at the time. Yeah, don't worry about it. Well, that's what I love too. I mean, that that's why I always used to deep dive webcomic archives hmm. is because I love to see the progression of of the artists. Yeah, and and it was always a common question. You know, would you would you ever go back to, into your archive and just completely redo it? And a lot of people surprisingly would say yes. Yeah. I think that's nuts. Yeah. I just. Why would you want to redo something you've already done? I mean, do you redo, if, it's, if you was on issue 10, would you go back and redo issue one and you think, well, hold on, issue two looks rubbish now. And then you do two and then you do three and before you back up to 10 and you look back at one and you think, oh God, I could do better than that now. It's like a never in this circle, like a, a snake eating his tail. Make a new comic, do something different. I don't understand that. I kind of understand it, but not... I've gone back and relet some stuff, which is like, well, that's really bad. I can't, if I'm going to get this printed, the reader is going to have a struggle reading this. But to go do and, and do it from scratch, the entire comic, no yeah. way, no. So then what is your creative kryptonite? Creative kryptonite, that's a really tough question. I would hold up my smartphone at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's, there's times where I've, I've, I've been sat on it reading and then you're like, oh God, that's like half an hour gone there. I could have been... I could have been doing something. Getting my ideas is like you go out and have a walk and listen to music and get an idea and then I write down a note or write it down, email it to myself. But with the pandemic and a lot more kind of working from home, I'm not doing so much of that walking around. And that's when I realized I got a lot of my sort of thinking and creative thoughts and not doing that. Yeah, it was, it's a detriment. So I've tried to get into doing, getting out a bit more and just getting away from the house or, from the office and, and walking around trying to get the, the juices uh, flowing again. Because there was times I was writing scripts and I was like, I don't know what to do here. The old creative process would be go for a walk and then you'd get hit by the inspiration of what you want to put in it. That's something I've tried to work into, get away from the house. <laughs> How did you find the kind of uh, pandemic was uh, affected your creative endeavors, Kurt? Didn't, I mean, I was doing everything digital anyhow, so really- Oh, okay. There's no every so, change. No, the only thing that changed was, you know, how did I organize my, my schedule better? 
that's okay. really what it boiled down to. So, so for me, it was like, okay, I need to get a calendar. Yeah. I, I need to get myself actually scheduled so I can prep myself. And mm. the other thing was that allowed me to limit my time okay. in the sense that I'm only one person doing all of this stuff. So I'm only, I'm, I'm doing all the editing, all the promotion, all this, all of this other stuff as well too. What's the best use of my time? Mm. The calendar on, on Calendly um, is the best solution for me. And yeah. I, I have two shows where I say, okay, here's the links. You know, I haven't set it up so that it blocks people, whoever signs up for it. And, and I do have to fix that. Uh, will uh, will just be scheduled as a guest. And and I think that was the best uh, realization for me as a, as a, as an interviewer, because now it's like, okay, well, I know I have two interviews on a Saturday or, or, you know, like in our case, we had to reschedule. So yeah. I was able to, to move things around a bit and it, and it worked out well for everyone on thing, because I want to make this as a, as an approachable show for guests. I want to be yeah. the easiest process that you've had to come on and say, well, shit, this only took me five minutes to sign up. I filled out my information and then now I just have to get some images and then we're away. We uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I guess you've been thrown by friend of curveballs over the years by, get a guest on which you kind of like, I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I've only had a couple of interviews where, where it's harder to, because a lot of creative people are introverted and, yeah. and trust me as a, as a host, I was introverted as well too. I still am. I'm about 60% mm. introverted. I just don't show it that often. <laughs> and, and so for me, it was like, if you're comfortable enough and asking questions, like as you, as you are, mm. uh, you know, you can kind of, get a feel for the guests themselves. And if you yeah. can get into something that they're passionate about, as whether it's art or writing, or maybe it's like in your case, eighties TV and films, which is still the best decade for action yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Which by the way, you should try to interview Raylan Grant. If you get a chance, Raylan I'll send, Grant. I'll send you the, yeah, send me his DMs. yeah I'd, like, I'd look into that. He's the epitome of making eighties style comics, but in his own way. Like he has oh, suicide jockeys and he has a, a martial arts thing as well too. And if you interview him, his entire back wall is filled with everything eighties. Like literally he still has like VHS cassette tapes that plays films like Robocop <laughs> and, and commando and all these other things. So Brilliant. he's, he's an, and, and he's also a Zen Buddhist monk as well too. And he's amazing. Okay. So he's like totally incredible. That's guy. cool. It's uh, interesting. I was talking to someone today about that kind of, uh, I found out the guy that works in reception and the building I work in, uh, I had a Captain America trade that got sent to the building and for whatever reason, the label got messed up. So he opened it to find out who it was. And he said, oh, Dan, I've got this book down here. And he said, I'm a big comic fan too. And I was like, oh, great. So I took down a copy of Viper and gave it to him. And he said, oh yeah, man, I love the eighties. And we started talking about, uh, comics and stuff and i said i'll test him and sort of see if he's an mcu like goes to the films or is he a comic reader and like it was very quickly found out he was a comic reader when he started talking about thanos the mad titan and being in love with death and stuff and not being yeah. i was like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sage nodding so yes uh, like like-minded individuals find like-minded individuals yes you didn't take him long before he was moaning about dc's current output <laughs> okay <laughs> well hey that's dc's problem not ours. yeah that's what uh us comic fans do like to uh moan and <laughs> oh, i do i do enough of it on the awesome comic pod 
<laughs> it's it's amazing how a creative journey starts, especially when it comes to creating themes. And you know, with Vanguard and Viper as well too, you've kind of touched upon some of the themes as well. Um, what was the one theme that kind of sparked Vanguard for you, and how did that start? Ah, uh, that's good. That's a, that's a tough one. It's always about storytelling and kind of initially I kind of wanted to you have characters get put up against something that they can't or like a film or a narrative where the, you have the bad guys and they're working against the good guys but you always get an idea of what the bad guys are doing because it will cut to them and they're, they're doing x y and z in the first arc of vanguard I didn't want you to see what the bad guys were doing they're like there's that old axiom of like you don't start a war you you can't finish so in this my idea was the bad guys know exactly what they're going to do. This is their plan, which I had plotted out, and they're going to go about taking over the world. The hero characters were always one step behind, trying to find out what was happening. Ultimately, for the story, you find that they don't find out in time, and it doesn't go too well for them. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want kind of these big scenes of like villains monologuing why they've done this, why they've done that. They're going for an objective, and the, the heroes don't get to it in time. In terms of your literary journeys that you've had, at least maybe more recently here, what was a comic book or a series either in film or TV that made you cry? That's a tough one. That's really tough. I uh, remember there's loads of films that have probably made me cry in the past, but going to see uh, Leon the Specialist, the end of that film where he dies and Natalie Young, Natalie Portman's like saying she's going to plant his plant in the middle of the field so it can grow uh, i remember me and my mate went to see that and we were sitting there in the dark waiting for the credits to go because i'm pretty sure both of us were blubbing and we didn't want to show to the other one where it's like oh it's all right yeah i'm all right <laughs> and of course gary oldman the epitome of an, an awesome bad guy too god yeah what a fantastic bad guy like when the actors kind of get that thing of you you wouldn't want to be in the same room with them and he's spot on with that another one is uh have you seen the film snatch yeah yeah oh yeah the brick top in that yeah it's a horrible character so well done uh, just you wouldn't want to be in the same postcode or zip code as him <laughs> horrible well i mean for me it was lock talk, lock stock and two smoking barrels was just uh, you know from that to snatch was just back to back just amazing films it made me re-love british comedy or british yeah uh, type filmmaking as well fast pace you know the 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 cutting the action just the characters just playing off each other so mm. so seamlessly i mean it just I really well i think we still see like british crime comics mm -hmm. uh, especially in the small press over here that uh use like lockstock and uh snatch to kind of riff off with the same kind of energy and vibe but also kind of using that the long good friday and mm -hmm. uh stuff like that so it really did kind of introduce a, a, a flavor and a, a genre style that can kind of a lot of creators uh, still use and riff on probably similar similar to what tarantino did for the revitalization of you know like the pulp style filmmaking and comics as well too. definitely definitely it's interesting that like the the film and cinema does still seem to have quite an impact on comics and their look it seems to be they take some of the core ideas from comics to make to films, but mm -hmm. looks and more general ideas feed back into comics and creators are more inspired by that. It, I guess it's one big circular kind of thing. You, you're feeding off the creative <laughs> process of each other and coming up with uh, weird and wonderful new stories. As a creative person for as long as you have been here, what are three things that you have accomplished that you're most proud of? And what are three things 
that you were looking forward to accomplishing? Oh, wow. Uh, I think doing the, the Vanguard stuff, obviously, that's great, just punching it out. I honestly really love working with other creators. Drawing other people's characters and creations is, is an absolute joy because you get to put a, a spin on their baby, as it were. When a writer comes to you and you work on a script and they said, oh, I was thinking about it this way, and then you present it slightly differently, but they really like it. That's a real uh, big tick for me. Things I've got to come looking forward to. There's a secret project I'm working on with a couple of creators that's going to be working under a, a pseudonym, a nickname, because we're trying out an idea and seeing if it sticks or not. I can't really go too much into that. I know that's been horrible to say that kind of stuff because people say, what are you about? Maybe I'll go into that a bit more later when, when it hits and if it, it succeeds or not. And uh, obviously the second part of Viper, um, I find the comic creation aspect of it relatively easy, but running the Kickstarter is a bit of a, a bit of a different beast as I'm sure many of creators have uh, attested to already. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one. You've got to become an admin person and <laughs> do all that kind of stuff, which is not my strong suit at all. I've had many people even just talk about their process of doing a Kickstarter and no Kickstarter is ever the same. So it's, no. it's crazy. And it's a real worry, not worry, but you look at that target and the money coming in and you think, oh God, am I going to hit the, the, the total or not? I mean, when, when I've done all the artwork and I've made the comic, if it ends up making a loss, it's like, well, I lost a bit of time making the comic. But if you've paid an artist to do pages for you and you, you're not looking to get that back, oh God, what a, what a nightmare. I wouldn't be without the platform. I think crowdfunding comics is certainly the way to go. This seems to be such a big part of the scene now. It'll be amazing to see how that evolves eventually in the future as well, too. I, I don't know the process for now. It's it's a solid platform. I think similar to reading web comics and comics in general hmm. online nowadays, I think it's going to evolve into many sci-fi scenes I think we've seen in the future. Yeah. Uh, of, you know, we're going to be swiping things left and right, you know, getting ads out of our faces or whatever. <laughs> it seems to be like some of the, the kind of, that, that whole pre-ordering thing of like, you gotta see whether there's interest for a book before you put it out. Uh, I can see the, the benefit to that. And I think some of the, the bigger creators have realized that too, rather than just put a book to market and then say, well, actually no one wants to read this. Yep. You, you, you do that Kickstarter style process of funding it first and then producing it. That seems to be sort of a more of a, a, a risk-free for the creator at least, because if it screws up, you're not one fit in the bill. And we've all heard the horror stories of Kickstarter and crowdfunding where <laughs> the creator's got the money and then not delivered the product. <laughs> Touch wood, that's, I've not been stung like that. I mean, it goes back to, you know, you want to make a good product for the, the masses and you want to make sure it's a completed product as well too. Mm. So, I mean, I don't think you'll have any worry about that whatsoever. No, I think it's the whole treat, treat customers like you'd be like to be treated yourself and treat your customers like... Uh, readers you want to kind of give them the, the best bang for their buck make it as uh, cost effective and worthwhile as possible i'm glad to see that so many people take a, a similar uh, approach to putting their books out obviously you get the one or two that's sort of like they're charging 15 bucks for a 21 page comic which is like you can't really justify <laughs> a lot of them you're like wow god you get like tons of comic the creator's absolute uh, legend uh, yeah, love it. I love just browsing Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter and just seeing stuff come up. 
Uh, I should try and get more on Indiegogo, but uh, I find that platform a bit more mystifying for, for whatever reason. What was an early experience where you learned that language had power? Oh, man, these questions are killers. <laughs> <laughs> when language had power. Oh, God. I can't remember the, the, the kind of specific occasions, but I realized that, that the English language could be used like an absolute razor blade. Mm. And some people's command of it is absolutely astounding that that sort of the withering put downs they can do and the insinuation and the, the hidden meanings within what they say. There's so many books I've read that it's like, God, this translates so well. You, you've managed to kind of get the nub of how people talk and how they express meaning. I think it's something I try and strive for with what I write. And maybe I don't get it all the time or at all. That ability to kind of write a character saying one thing, but have an undercurrent of meaning as something else. What's the most misunderstood aspect about the 80s and 90s comics and TV and film series that people, maybe this generation, don't quite understand? It's an odd one. Like now, for instance, you can go on YouTube and find out virtually every aspect of a film that you're going to see millions of trailers, mm -hmm. shots behind the scenes, interviews with stuff, spoilers, everything. But back in the 80s and 90s, you maybe saw a, a trailer for a film or, a, or even a poster and that was it. And then you'd go in blinds. And the same, the, like the video rental store, you'd be going on cover art that was done by someone who had nothing to do with the production. And you'd, you'd think, oh my God, this looks amazing. And then you get it home and you're like, Okay, they spent about 20 bucks on the special effects on this one. So as a real kind of like a gem, you might come across a, a fantastic film and you go to your friends, oh, check this out, and they, they would do the same to you. A lot more kind of a, a turbulent place to kind of pick up stuff like that, but almost like finding gems was so much more worth it. Everything seems to be kind of a little more creatively freer uh, then, especially kind of the, the, the film's... Uh, maybe the comic books too. Now, sometimes I feel like it, it feels a bit too much like product mm -hmm. rather than go for a creative team that's gone through kind of a, a, a checklist and people saying, right, it's got to hit these numbers, hit this mark. Uh, you've got to have this in it, that in it. You don't make art that way. Yeah, some of it comes across as very kind of bland and flat for me. Yeah, that, that whole kind of 80s, 90s, you didn't know what you was getting and sometimes it was the worst stuff imaginable and sometimes it was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, some of the, those big like sci-fi franchises, like Aliens, Terminator, mm. Predator, they're still going strong today and still people love them. I'm always worried about that kind of, that nostalgia thing of just constantly going back and doing stuff. But I, I don't know, the, the, those member berries, as it were. Remember this, remember that. But yeah. I, I feel like if you can look at stuff you used to enjoy from your childhood and do your little take on it, but like a little bit of subversion, tweak it a bit, uh, all the better because there's a great big audience out there who who want to see the same stuff and grew up very similar to how you did it i mean uh carl starks does all that kind of stuff with karate prom i don't know mm -hmm. if you've seen that comic which is kind of a riff on that 80s prom scene but mixed in with a karate kid and stuff like that and it's just fantastic because it's it's very knowing but really funny fantastic career so I, i'm all all about like stuff that Riffs on uh, 80s film and TV. So overrated, underrated, 80s edition. 
we'll start off with hopefully something that's fairly easy. Overrated, underrated Airwolf. Oh, man. That was quite big in the day. I, I went back and rewatched it all before writing uh, Viper, and some of it's a bit bit goofy, but I, I still think it holds up. It's 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 a fun TV series, uh, but yeah, I think it, would you say that was a, that was a big thing back in the day, relatively speaking? Yeah, and the theme tune absolutely slaps. It's just amazing. No, it's it's incredible. Overrated, underrated, Night Rider. Still a great. I've watched that recently. The airs sometimes the repeats air on TV, and that's just a real fun ride. If you just don't take it too seriously, you're, <laughs> you're in for a treat. Also, this is the first use that I ever saw of um, you know eyeliner in '80s action films too. And on Night Rider. Oh yeah, yeah. Who was wearing the, the eyeliner? Was it Hasselhoff? It was Hasselhoff. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. okay. In fact, he did that in in pretty much every film that he did. In the 80s and 90s. So if you ever watch his Nick Fury film, yeah. Eyeliner. Ah, okay. Overrated, underrated, X-Men. Yeah, man. Oh, that, that was great as well. Again, like that, the theme song for that, if you've, spoilers, that pops up in the next step, Doctor Strange, in the Doctor Strange, nice. Multiverse Madness. Uh, God, yeah, that was really good. I mean, that seemed to put the X-Men on the map for a lot of people that was that weren't into comics it was kind of like a, a, a gateway into it. And was that around the time when Jim Lee was doing like the X-Men one thing? I can't remember if that was before or after then. Cause that was enormous that the X-Men one Jim Lee. Yeah. Lots of people were into that. There was a heritage auction was selling off some of his pages. And I saw one today that went for a quarter of a million for a Jim Lee X-Men page. Overrated, underrated Batman. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was, when he first got cast for that, there was, I was, I wasn't that old when I, it came out. It was it 80, 89. 89. So I was like 12, 13 years old, but I wasn't on message boards, but they were kicking off that Keaton got cast as Batman. He was like, oh, he's Mr. Mum. He's not right for this. Mm. And obviously when it came out, proved him wrong. I got taken to see it with my, with my best mate and his dad. And he, had not seen anything about it. So when he, he took us to see this film, he was expecting to see like an Adam West kind of deal. And he was kind of a bit mortified. <laughs> it was all dark, violent and gothic. Mm. And he was expecting the crack pal kind of Adam West <laughs> stuff. I mean, it, it, it kind of set off the, the superhero genre films for the most part. I mean, there was other examples where, you know, Flash attempted to do a, a film here and there and, and mm. Captain America's really horrible yeah that's the film yeah too that's something but i mean it was it, it set off blade it set off you know kind of the start of the marvel yeah at least marvel saw it and they were like yeah hey we can do something like this yes yeah, it seems an odd one because i think there was almost that was like the first as far as i'm aware like serious take as it were and it went down so well it kind of changed the the the, the course of it as as he said blade one and blade two Brilliant. Uh, Wait, he doesn't uh, exist. No. <laughs> Same with Highlander uh, 2. No, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it's weird with Goya. I kind of, sometimes he comes up with absolute gold on, on scripts and stories. And then other times you get Blade 3, which is like. He was just in it for the paycheck of that. Like, yeah. But have you seen, had any of the stories of like the making of Blade 3? Yeah. No, no, not that I recall any of Snipes, 
uh, essentially thought that they were writing out Blade and bringing in the, the Night Stalker characters. Is it the mm. Night Stalker characters? Jessica Bale and Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. So he became harder and harder to work with and he would only be addressed as Blade. He would never come out of his trailer unless they, they sort of referred to him as such. And he'd write notes saying so-and-so and so-and-so, Blade, and just became a bit of a pain in the ass on set. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's not the first actor to do that normally. Be no, yeah. But more introspective time here. Before I do that, is there anything I haven't touched on you'd like to showcase those that are watching and listening to this interview? I, we will talk about social media and where we can find it at the end. Okay. There's a couple of comics. If you look on mm -hmm. Comixology, uh, it doesn't really exist now, or Amazon. Uh, there's a comic I've done called El Marvo. I've done some stuff uh, in an anthology series for Comic House. Uh, some of the webcomic series Reynolds City. There's mm -hmm. odd bits and bobs all over the net, which <laughs> I've done most of the time. I can't remember what it is. I've had uh, Rob on the show in the past too. Yeah, nice one. Yes. Yeah. God, I've known Rob for, he was like one of the first webcomic gigs I've ever did. I kind of thought, I want to learn how to do a webcomic. I kind of, I was fresh out of university. Rob came along and looking for an artist and Away I went on Reynolds City issue two, I think it was. So, so yeah, learned the ropes drawing uh, battling foxes. <laughs> <laughs> At what point are we good enough? Never. <laughs> you can always get better, you can always improve. I think you should never stop trying to improve yourself and, and get better at your art, your craft and your art. Uh, I think the person who says I've got nothing else to learn, uh, you're very, very wrong. There's all you can always pick something else up. Always something can be done. If you you've, you've got a process that works, you can always think, well, how can this be improved? Uh, it may never may never be able to improve, but if you go into that mindset of like, I think it can, and you're always questioning, always trying to do stuff better, I think that's the way forward. Everyone asks usually, you know, what's the wisest piece of advice or what's the most bullshit piece of advice that you've ever received? But what is your second wisest piece of advice that you've received that has stuck with you in your career? I went to a, a talk on script writing with Michael Golden and he, it was very informal, but he always said, when you're writing a story and Millard found out years later, he, he, and when we talked to him, he said exactly the same things like, have your ending to your story set because you work towards that. Every, everything is working towards that. And if you've, you've got part of your story and then it, it, it goes off, if it's not heading towards the end of the story, you've got to change it or get rid of it. Everything has to drive towards that one point. It, it helps so much and narratively get more on a big. Cause if I've got this big ending and I know where the story starts, filling in the in-betweens is relatively simple, but if you don't know what the, the ending to your story is and what, what message you're trying to convey, it might be a tough time. Maybe there's other people that do it a different way, but I find that such a logical way of doing, uh, creating. What is one mistake you will never do again? Uh, uh <laughs> I never say never. Cause always, <laughs> uh, I've done stuff where I've not been clear. I've had to like work for hire on comics and not got, the price of how much I'm working for beforehand and you do a ton of work and then it's like here's 50 bucks or 100 bucks and it's like oh god what do I do that for if you're going to enter into a, a contract or work with someone else make sure you have a, 
a good understanding of what you expect from it and what they expect from it. And if you need to make that into a kind of a contract for more informal, that's what I'd recommend doing. How do you think the birth of creativity was formed? <laughs> oh man, that's, <laughs> that's a hard one. <laughs> Through necessity, I would guess. When presented with a problem or challenge, you're gonna. It must have been that kind of problem solving. Something must be done about this, and if it had to come up with an idea that that thinks out the box, as it were, to get around it and to to beat it and conquer it, I guess we've kind of subverted that into entertainment. That's an interesting one. I'll have to think about that a bit more. Everyone has one person that inspired them on their path to where they are today. Who was that for you? Oh God, that's a toughie. That is a real tough one. Trying to single out one person. There's been so many sort of creatives I've come across in my life that have kind of driven me onwards. And not only creatives, sometimes I had a martial arts instructor who kind of like uh, sorted me out a lot in in my headspace and kind of, he would probably say he he gave me a lot of kind of discipline, self-discipline. And if that's one thing I could impart to people and being able to discipline and control yourself is such an invaluable tool from because using that as a grounding, you can, you can do what you want. You can sit down and study. You can sit down and read. You can focus your time on what you want to do and achieve it. If you don't have the, that self discipline and you're all over the place, you're doing this, you're doing that. It, you're not, you're not going to succeed in perhaps the way you'd want to. So that that's a great trait I, I've learned as a, a younger man. And I, I don't think I'd be where I am now without it. From a professional standpoint, you've created two comics. You're almost finishing one finally after many years, which mm. then you'll move on to the next project. So professionally, you're successful in that regard, always moving forward in your creativity. Do you consider yourself personally successful? Uh, I would say so. Yeah, I've kind of I've set myself goals and and waypoints to kind of reach, and I've I've, I've got them. Uh, I've not always succeeded, but it's only a matter of kind of picking yourself up, dusting yourself off, and 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 keep trying it. Something doesn't work, try something else. Uh, you're only kind of really down and defeated when you give up and you're not going to do anything anymore. Yeah, I, I think I've been relatively successful, and uh, I hope to keep pushing and and achieve more that's all one can hope the reverse of success is failure how do you deal with your failures dealing with failure i think is for me a a cold objective look at the reasons why you failed taking it on board changing and make adapting so you you don't make the same mistakes uh arguably one of the, the worst things you could do is to kind of brush yourself off and pretend it didn't happen and just try again because you're doomed to make the same, if not similar mistakes. So learn from what you've done, change, adapt, and then go at it again. The younger generation is looking at your work and then becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it's as a comic writer, artist, creative person, or maybe it's something creative in another entertainment industry altogether. How can they inspire the generation that follows them? I think by bringing uh, something to the table, which is uniquely you and your voice, because you're the only one that can come up with that and the only one who can tell that. Don't try and tell Spider-Man. Don't try and tell the story of 
Batman, your your to spin on it. Tell the story you've got inside you. Uh, this is going to be a lot more original and compelling than retelling the story that's been told a hundred times. Even if you put your spin on it, change it, make it individualistic and your own, people would be a lot more drawn to that than just trying to be someone else. Create what you want to create and, and come up with something original. Because you are a lover of 80s films and TV and entertainment in, in that regard, what would be the title of your film for your life and what would the soundtrack be? Oh, God, that's tough. It, it definitely has some Guns N' Roses in there, oh, yeah. just for, for flavor. Mm -hmm. I don't think you put Danny Elfman. <laughs> <laughs> that said, he did do like some 80s tracks, didn't he? Title-wise, I'd have to go some really cheesy, like, Hard Justice or... <laughs> hard Artist, there, there. Yeah. <laughs> Draw Hard or... Yeah. You know, some, something equally stupid. Because <laughs> the best 80s films were usually either one or two word sentences. That was yeah. One or two words, that was it. That's, I, I think if you kind of, like, presented somewhere with a, a, a list of them, Unless they were kind of familiar, they were like Arnie, Sly or Stallone. You'd be like, what is this? <laughs> well, I do hate to say this, Dan, but you know, that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been real fun. Before I let you go, where can we find you? How can we support you online and social media? And of course, anything else you'd like to promote? Sure. You can uh, read Vanguard at vanguardcomic.com or you can support the Patreon, which I do bunches of sketches and stuff. And that's patreon.com forward slash Vanguard. Uh, you can hear me talk crap on Twitter at Vanguard Comic. And uh, you can listen to the Awesome Comics podcast with uh, Tony and Vince, where each week we talk to small press creators, <laughs> tell jokes, muck around. It's like some, some people said it's like being in the pub with three friends. Join us on that. Come in and take a listen. And that's on spotify amazon uh, apple and all those kind of things well like i said that ends this particular episode of two geeks talking you can force find this interview and a thousand plus others on our website tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com and of course on our youtube channel which is a lot more updated than our website because i'm the only person doing all of this stuff oh. which is youtube.com <laughs> forward slash tgtmedia and as i say every week everyone has a story to tell except to me and help bring that out Thanks for listening, watching on Two Geeks Talking.